0: Hey, y'all. So check it, check it, check it, check it out. I just came across a new clothing line that is amazing. It is Jupiter's Art. This is a clothing line for non-binary people, right? So the clothes are genderless and uh, they are also sustainable. Um, There's carbon offset and they don't add anything negative to the environment. And they're also um, an ethical company with fair pay for their employees. And they welcome uh, anyone in the spectrum of LGBT and race. It is owned by people of color. And they deserve your attention. You can find Jupiter's Art on Instagram, on TikTok. And you can search for them on Google and find the website. It is amazing check it check it check it out wait till you see this jacket oh my god This it, it is amazing y'all you gotta peep it jupiter's art check it hey y'all your fam black fluid poet check it out if you Love this podcast. I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers so you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 499, or 999. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Cause yo. The struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person, in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With zen That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, y'all. Uh, it's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you live from my humble abode of books. And I'm gonna uh, just leave it there. Um, I got a lot going on, and, and I need to kind of ramble about it a little, if, if you don't mind. Um... I am going to be 52 at the end of April, right? April 29th, I'll be 52. Taurus in the building, what, what? So I'm I'm at a place where I'm really just reflecting on my entire life, which is, you know, that's a lot, especially with everything that I've been through. Um, All these different experiences and travel and people um and i'm not happy i don't feel proud of my life when i when i reflect over the whole experience of being me and living in the united states on this planet so forth so on i i'm not happy um i when i was younger i saw things going way <laughs> different than where I am now. Um, I didn't think I'd be single. I didn't think that I would be, you know, childless, so to speak. Um, I didn't think I'd be in an empty house. I didn't think I'd be alone. And I'm really struggling with um, acceptance. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with accepting that this is the life I have. This is it. And, um, I don't feel hopeful about the future. I don't feel like, you know, people are like, well, you know, you could always start over. you start now. And, and I feel like at almost 52, I don't, it could be self-pity, um, but I just don't feel like there's much time left to do anything. Um, I'm really beating myself up over every single bad choice I ever made. And, and side note, can I just share with y'all? One thing that annoys the fuck out of me is when... You know, I if you ever have the urge to talk about a mistake you've made and something that you're having a hard time letting go of, someone you hurt... Um, you know, a place in your life where you turned left and, and maybe going right would have been a better idea. And someone will come around and say, I don't regret anything in my past because it's made me who I am today. And I'm like, if you don't shut the fuck up and get away from me, I, I have, you know, I've, I've struggled with addiction for a long time. And when struggling with addiction, it means that I've hurt a lot of people who truly love me with, you know, lies or stealing or manipulating or, 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 or. or. Um, I've let a lot of people down. And I think that anyone my age or older that doesn't have a single regret is probably a fucking narcissist. Like, either that Or they've taken zero risks their entire life. They've just, you know, stayed on the path, kept their head down, kept their nose clean, and, you know, did what was expected of them. You know, if if that worked for them, that's great, you know. Um, However, in in my life, I took a lot of risks. Um, I took a lot of chances. I went on adventures. And sometimes people got hurt. Sometimes it was me more times than not it was other people and with the hurt that I've caused I don't support the idea that I'm allowed to have joy or be successful um I still have a lot of survivor's guilt for members of my family that um suffered with AIDS, with HIV, died from AIDS. And I lived, you know, friends, family. Um, I still really beat myself up over my mother's uh, suicide. And I haven't been able to get past it for the longest time. You know... My mother, um, I was, what, 33? And I was working in Philadelphia at this really amazing restaurant. And I was making really great money. And I had left New York City and went to my mother's house. I stayed with my mom. When my relationship ended with my son's mother, um, I, I left. And I was working in New York City. And then I decided... I'm out. I I can't, I can't do this. And I went to uh, stay with my mom in Jersey and my mom was pretty sick. And I remember a doctor saying that, you know, she's got a couple of weeks. Now, mind you, my mother lived like another three or four fucking years, but um, yeah, she lived another three years because that was just before uh, the turn of the millennia, right? It was 1999. And I, left New York City, and I go to stay with my mom. And, um, you know, after a while, I ended up, you know, moving out, getting my own place out there, and I met uh, a young lady, and we we had a child, we had a daughter. And, um, you know, it, this random time, right, that my mom's like, the, the relationship ended, but my daughter's birth, I can I can honestly tell you, my daughter's birth is what kept my mother alive for another three years. When my daughter was born, my mother just got better. I, I don't I don't know I can't explain it any other way. She just got better. And it truly, truly gave my mother hope and spirit and joy and eventually. Um, my daughter's mom and I split up and I got my own place and I got this job, uh, in Philly. I wasn't very far from Philly where I was staying in, in, uh, Southwest Jersey. But, um, one day my mother calls and says, John, I, I need you to come to the house. Now, I, knowing that my mother technically should have passed years ago, I go running up there because, you know, she might be on her last leg. You know, she had a, I remember she had a fentanyl, um, fentanyl patch and she had an IV that she had to walk around her house with, um, with antibiotics. She had osteomyelitis. And now that osteomyelitis is curable, however, in the early 2000s, it wasn't. And there was no antibiotic that was strong enough to kill the bone marrow infection that she was suffering from, But um, she was miserable, and I went to the house. Now, I ran. I'm in a tuxedo. I had to wear a tuxedo for my job. And I'm in this $600 tuxedo booking from my house to my mother's house. So I get to my mom's house, and I'm out of breath. I'm a smoker. I'm asthmatic. What the fuck? You know? And I I opened the door. My mother always kept the door unlocked. It was something that I still, I'm, I'm the same way. Um, I hate locks, but um, I think it had to do with my mother being in prison for so long, but I digress. So I open the door, I fly into to my mother's house, I run to her bedroom, she's sitting on the edge of the bed watching TV, smoking a cigarette, I say, mom, what's, what's, going, on? what's going on? She said, nothing, what, I just wanted to talk to you, Are you okay? And I'm like, am I okay? Motherfucker, you know, like, you can't just be like, I need you to come here right now and not say what the fuck, you know, that was about. And so she kind of giggled at me and she's like, I wanted to give you this. My mother hands me like 600 bucks. I don't, I don't remember the exact amount. It was somewhere between five and $700. And she's like, I want you to have this. And I said, for what? I said, mom, I have a six-figure income at this restaurant I work at. You see this tux I'm in? Like, I should be giving you money. Do you need some money? She's like, no, John, I'm fine. Look, I was gone for so long. And she started to tear up. And she said, there were so many times that I felt horrible for not being able to buy you a wonderful gift for your high school graduation, you know, for the birth of one of your children, um, all your birthdays, all the holidays. She said, I just, hey, I want you to take this money. Don't fucking argue with me. Take this money. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, all right. All right. Damn. You know, she said, John. I know you, and, and this is the truth, dog. To, to this day, this is so true about me. He said, don't buy anyone else anything with this money. I want you to go to the mall, to a store, and I want you to get yourself something really, really nice. And I kid you not, I at that time, I don't think I ever spent um, an elaborate amount of money on myself, you know. Um, With the exception of when I was using drugs, then, you know, all the money went to elaborate amounts of drugs. However, when I am clean and sober and, and in a more spiritually centered place, I don't, I live by my needs, you know, and I didn't need anything. So I'm like, well, you know, you know, my girlfriend's always said that she wanted this thing. Let me go get that for her. Or, you know, my son said he wanted this toy. Let me go get that, you know. And so my mother was like, don't buy any motherfucker, any fucking thing. This is for you and you alone. And I said, okay, you know, all right, fair enough. And uh, she said, give me a hug. And I gave her a hug. She goes, you know, I love you. And I said, mom, I love you too. Like, what, what the fuck? Like, what, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm totally fine. I just, you know, I, I, I know I can't make up for lost time. Um, but I just need you to know how much I truly, truly love you and please get yourself something nice. And I said, you know, all right, all right. And I was kind of still reluctant, you know, and I thought about just taking the money and shoving it in her purse. But my mother, man, like maybe it's childhood trauma that, that triggers it, but I do not want to piss my mama off. Um, side note, let me tell you, let me give you an example. I was in my thirties. This was after I moved to Jersey to be closer to my mom. My mother calls me one day. She said, put on Jenny Jones. And I said, okay, you know, what's, what's going on? She said, just put on the goddamn show. I said, all right, all right. I put on the show. And it's Jenny Jones and it's Jenny helped me with my wild teen. And there's this boy on there that told his mother, shut the fuck up, bitch. And my mom, and I was like, mom, why did you tell me to put this She said, you see that little motherfucker? I wish that motherfucker would say something like that to me. And I'm I'm dying, right? I'm laughing. I'm in tears. And I'm like, I know, mom, I, I would never. She said, you damn right. She said, even with my walker right now, you ever said some shit like that to me? I slap the shit out of you. And I'm like, mom, why are you getting mad at me? She said, I don't know. That little motherfucker just got me mad at all my kids. I'm ready to curse all of y'all out. And I said, I didn't do nothing, you know. (laughs) And I said, you know, maybe he's got, you know, some sort of disorder or something that they need to help navigate, you know. And she was like, he ain't got nothing but AWDS. And I said, what the hell is that? She said, ass whooping deficiency syndrome. Give that little motherfucker to me for one week. I'll straighten him out. And (laughs) I was like, mom. And I I could laugh about it, you know, in... In hindsight, you know, because that's just my mother, you know, that's the way she was, the way she was always going to be, you know. Today, you know, I don't agree with that at all. But my mom was not playing. She was mad at somebody else's child disrespecting their parent and was as mad as if I had said that shit to her, you know. Um, So for my mother to be like, you know, I just I just want you to know I love you. And I've always loved you, and I'm so sorry I wasn't there. That was completely out of character for my mother. Like I raised an eyebrow and tilted my head and was like, Mom, are you getting enough fentanyl? Like what what is this? Are you getting too much fentanyl? Like what what's what's going on right now? And um she's like, Mom, just shut up. Just take the money and, and get ahead about your day. And I, all right, you know, and I left. But I was not gonna leave that money there and piss her off, I'll tell you that. So I um, I called out of work. I was going to go to work, and I called out of work, and I went to the mall. Like, fuck it. Yeah, let's just make a day of it. And I got myself a nice little meal, and um, I remember I went past a jewelry store, and my birthstone is a diamond, and I've never owned diamonds, ever. Never owned it. Never owned gold, uh, never flaunted a bunch of jewelry, um, Every once in a while, I I liked, I always liked silver necklaces. I don't know why. I just felt like gold drew too much attention. And it was, I just didn't like the message that it sent, you know. Um, I always feel like whenever somebody has gold, it bothers me. I remember a poem by Black Ice where he talks about having a Range Rover outside, you know, worth $40,000. And you're in your mother's, you know duplex the you know in the projects or whatever and the car you got outside is worth more than your mama's house and you're living in your mama's house in the basement or in the attic but you got a fucking Range Rover outside because you're, you're focused on you know showing out showing off so I, I didn't really get too deep into materialism There was a time in my life where I was vain and I worked out a lot and always wanted to look nice, but jewelry was just never my thing. But I I went in and I was like, I'm going to get something with a diamond in it. And I got myself a pair of diamond earrings and it felt good. like I think it was the most loving, one of the most loving moments that I've ever had alone by myself, you know, for me. And I got these earrings and I, as soon as I left the store, I put them on. And they felt good, you know. It felt like to treat myself, which was a rarity, to treat myself, it felt like I was breaking some rule or some law. And it was like, it was almost a rebellious act to show love towards myself, right? So I am at the bus stop and i get a call and back then the flip phones had just came out i had a at&t flip phone and child them roaming charges were whooping my ass at&t bills back then had hands you hear me um the phone was costing me somewhere around 100 a month but the bill man them roaming charges that shit would get up to 175 200 you know and back then you used to be like look don't call me before 9 p.m. <laughs> you know <laughs> everybody was having these full-ass conversations at 9:05 you know um but i get this call i don't recognize the number i pick it up and it's my mother's neighbor and she says john you need to get down here to the hospital and so i race over to the hospital and my mother was in a coma i just left the woman's house. And i, I it, it took me at least an hour or two to wrap my head around the fact that I was just talking to her a little while ago. I mean, only a couple of hours had passed. How, what do you mean she's in a coma? She uh, evidently overdosed on her insulin. This was decisive. And I said, "What? wait, a, what? No, we just talked this morning. She was fine. And then I remembered the conversation and the fact that my mother didn't have a lot of money. Um, but this was all sick for my mother to hand me $600. This was the same woman who, you know, when I was growing up, I was like, Mom, I got to get these sneakers. She said, How much are them sneakers? I said, They're only $55. She said, $55. Boy, you better get you better get a paper route or some shit. I don't I don't know what to tell you. You better start dealing drugs. I am not paying fifty five dollars for a pair of sneakers for you to fuck them up in two months. No, <laughs> you know it was it was the time of the Adidas, the shell toe, you know the fat laces. Um, I mean, I wanted to get a name belt. She said, "I'll tell you what. I'll get you a belt, and you can take Outliner and write your name." on <laughs> it. So for my mother to hand me $600, I knew it was completely out of character. For my mother to be so vulnerable and intimate with me the way she was that day was out of character. And I I had my mother still so high on a pedestal. I never thought my mother would do something like take her life. My mother was a don't- Never say die. Don't quit. Don't ever quit. I don't give a fuck what you're going through. You put one foot in front of the other. You get through it. And so for my mother to take her life. That just shook the entire foundation of everything I knew about living. You know what I'm saying? And so I sat next to my mother. And I brushed her hair for about... Three, maybe uh, maybe two, three days, I think. I didn't sleep much. Um, but some, some, at some point, I fell asleep right there, you know, on her bed. Like I fell asleep right next to her uh, chest, you know, on the mattress. And um, at some point, I think my sister woke me up. To let me know that she was going, she was passing. And I watched the heart monitor just slow and slow and slow. And then she was gone. And I'll never forget the silence when the medical personnel turned off the heart monitor and then they left the room. It was. So loud that the quiet was just nerve wrackingly loud, you know, and I never imagined this day would come. I never thought that I would bury my mother. I, I don't know. I I never thought that my mother was going to die. Like my, this woman, the doctors said, I can't tell you how many times, right? These doctors were like, look, any day in, within the next week, you know, my mother lived, they, they predicted her to die within three months after she got home from prison. That was in, I would say, 1996, 95, somewhere around there. And the doctors were like, you know. I give it a couple months tops. This motherfucker lived till two thousand three. You know what I'm saying? Like, she ain't never gonna die. You know. Um, and and I would say to my mom, you know, like these doctors all had you signed off like, f- like so long ago. And my mother would say, you know, well, there ain't no rest for the wicked. You know, God wants me alive to punish me some more for all the shit I've done. And. uh, You know, and I remember, like, my mother's humor was so dark. And, you know, there was an ounce of truth in every pound of jokes with her. And I would say, you know, like, Mom, we've never talked about what you want for your your funeral, your wake. You know, we have to talk about this stuff. She said, John, I'll be dead. I'm not going to know what the fuck you did anyway. Put me in a refrigerator box and lean me against the fence for all I care. And I was like, Mom, you know. And she would go, what? I don't give a fuck. Save your money. I, none of the limos and the whole tombstone and the look. Just fucking cremate me and do something with it. Like I, it doesn't matter. I, who cares? I'm be dead already. It doesn't matter to me. And that's that's been my mother my whole life. Keep it simple, you know. Um, Braz tax and hard facts. That was my mother all the time, you know. And uh, so. She's, a, she, she's laying there. And um, I don't know why, but in my head, you know, the white sheets and that little white blanket that they have. And my mother was a big woman, you know, most of her life. I'm talking, you know, somewhere between three and 400 pounds most of her life. And at this point, she was, she was below 300 for the first time in a long fucking time. My mother was below 300 pounds. But still, you know, with the white sheets over her and I just thought of a snow drift. You know, a, a new snow. You know how when it like, you ever? You're, I don't know if you've ever seen a blizzard. You know, it depends on where you live. But if you've ever experienced a blizzard and you go outside just after the snow finishes. And maybe there's a couple of really big flakes still coming down. And you watch them like almost explode when they hit the snow, you know. And the wind will carry the snow up against the tree. And it was, it's just so quiet. And the snow absorbs all sound. So there, it's like being in a, in a recording studio, you know. And I imagined the snow drift when the white sheets were over her belly and her chest. And then I kept brushing her hair because I didn't know what else to do. I knew that after my mother died, I knew intuitively, instinctively, somewhere in the back of my mind, the recesses of my brain, I knew I would probably be alone the rest of my life. Um, There was always a little, a a little, um, I don't know what to, a wedge between me and anyone I had ever dated a little bit of a wall, you know, where I just knew eventually this wasn't going to work, you know. And I felt like when my mother died, my life ended as well. Life as I knew it ended. This was the the oak tree that could never be taken down, that had fallen, you know. She was a redwood, you know. She was just her personality, her her voice, she was enormous, you know? She was just, people saw her and were in awe, you know? And she was gone. She was gone. And, and I'll never forget the, the, the absolute resentment that I had with life on life's terms. And even with God, like I just got her back. My mother spent uh, about somewhere between 10 and 12 years in prison, She went when I was a teenager and here she was back home and I'm in my, you know, mid to late 20s. And then by the time I'm 33, she's gone. And at that point, I was like, what kind of a fucking world does that to someone and then expects them to participate in this whole living thing? And I... I remember I relapsed, I don't know if it was that day or the day after, and I started using again, and at that time, I was clean about three years, and uh, I just gave up, and I'm having a lot of those feelings now of just wanting to give up, like... I'm sure that this is my depression and I'm, I'm trying to work through, I've had suicidal tendencies all day, all day, you know, I just, I didn't make a whole bunch of videos today for TikTok. I didn't do anything on Instagram today. I didn't, I just was like, I, after seeing, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson being just absolutely abused by the Republican party. I don't know what it was, but something in my head clicked like, yo, fuck this world. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I just don't, you know. And I think about, you know, Ukraine and everybody's like, oh, God, let's take some refugees in. And I'm like, what the fuck? What happened with Syria and Afghanistan all these other people that needed places to come? What about the Haitians who are like struggling with absolute poverty? And, and now all of a sudden we, we got room, you know, and the hypocrisy and the corruption and and the deceit and the self-centeredness and the materialism and I'm just fucking done. Like I just feel like I want my mom, you know, I feel like I, I, I just every time that I've gotten into uh, a monogamous relationship. I wanted it to last forever. But intuitively, I knew most likely it wouldn't. Because I have a bad picker, you know what I mean? I, you know, seeing my mom so disappointed in men my whole life, I looked for cynical, you know, narcissistic women to try and make things better for them so that somewhere in my brain it would would balance the universe for my mom's life, you know? I thought it would make things right to find a discouraged, you know, cynical woman and make a beautiful life for her more than with her. And at some point, you know, my mother could just look at me and just be proud, you know? and it never worked (laughs) this just in shocker guess what it didn't work but um i i've had this apartment for almost two years now and y'all i i don't want to live alone i thought i could maybe i still can but um My spirit is just in this really awful place, and this apartment is in shambles. I haven't had running water in my shower or my kitchen sink for almost seven weeks now, and they swear they're going to fix it on Monday, whatever. They've been saying this for a while. I'm months behind in rent, struggling with this podcast and the Patreon and TikTok, and I thought that it was going to take off. A lot more than it did. And it hasn't. Um, I got a PPP loan, I think, for some of the rent. um, But I got to find work, like, really soon. Um, My landlord's been hella patient. Probably because he knows that this apartment is fuck shit. And he probably wouldn't get any rent anyway. He hasn't so much threatened with eviction. But um, I just feel so lost. I, I don't know... The thought of getting in another relationship feels exhausting. And the thought of living alone feels equally tiresome. I have so many regrets that I don't know if I can move forward. I'm actually considering uh, signing myself into uh, the hospital to kind of just get centered again or or find my center or go towards it somehow and can i tell you this is so silly right because i'm a grown-ass man well i'm a grown-ass person 51 and i'm afraid to leave tiktok for a whole fucking week or more because like i was losing 100 followers a day every time i didn't make a video (laughs) i was like if I go, I'm going to lose like over a thousand people in a week. And who knows how many more. And, you know, um, growing up, you know, my mom working and going to school and all the time. And my dad never being there. My siblings always running in the street and I spent a lot of time as a child. And I'm talking five, six, seven, eight by myself. And I remember just wishing somebody would just come home. And now since this divorce, nobody is walking through my door. And I am struggling with this. I am struggling with... And I think the pandemic did a lot of the damage because, you know, I haven't been out making friends. But I don't know. I just... I have to find my vigor for life again. I have to, I had it like when I first got home from rehab, I had it and I've been struggling with recovery so much because I'm, I just, I've always wanted to connect with other people more than I've wanted to connect with myself. And if there's no one around me, you know, impressed when I get home that I've achieved something or, waiting to hug me or eat with me. I just feel like, what's the point? And I've got to... I've got to make myself the point. And I honestly don't know how. I don't know how to make myself important enough... To live solely for me. I was always trying to make my mom feel better. And always trying to get my dad to come home. And you know, always tried when I was younger and I got clean at 16. I was always trying to get my siblings clean. I never wanted to go through this alone. And that's probably why I've been a serial monogamist my entire life. I have never been. This is the longest I've ever been single in my life. I've been single for about a year. Maybe a little more than that. And with the exception of a couple of times getting with somebody, but nothing really panned out for it, panned out with it. um, This is the longest I've ever been by myself. I have never spent more than two months, maybe, single my entire life. Since I started dating somewhere around... 13, I I just feel like a little kid again, you know, curled up in the corner of a couch waiting for somebody to come home. And I think it's that abandonment, that that childhood trauma that I'm, I'm reliving every day that I'm here by myself. I, I, I'm, I'm refusing to read any of these books. I'm refusing to read them because it may distract me from wanting someone to come home to me. You know, it's almost like a kid that, that gets tricked into going to sleep. You know, no, I'm not, I don't want you to sing to me. No, I don't want to read a book. You know, I just want to stay awake and I'm not going to let you trick me into going to sleep. And I feel like I don't want to be happy by myself. Like, that's that's something so, I don't know. It it just feels wrong. It feels wrong. It feels like we're all supposed to be with other people, you know? And I think that's a a big part of, you know, I'm I'm an extrovert. It's always been about being around other people, you know, whether it was spoken word, um, whether... You know, it was breakdancing when I was a teenager. It was, it was always performing for the crowd. It was always wanting to hear the applause. It was wanting to be loved and appreciated anywhere I could find it. And I mean anywhere. I've put myself in some horrible sets of circumstances just for acknowledgement, just for attention, just to hear someone say, I'm here with you. I'm not going anywhere. Now, that never, you know, never came to fruition, but I, I don't know, y'all. Um, I'm really struggling. And um, financially, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to come out of this. <laughs> I, I don't. I've had some friends who have sent some money to help me out with, you know, keeping the Wi-Fi going, keeping my phone going. Um, I'm still behind, you know, double build on damn near everything. Um, and I haven't pushed myself to to get out of it because I'm like, let it let it all go. Just let it all just let it all go. you know um, yeah, I've got some stuff to to work out. And um, I'm trying to, to love myself enough to share with you what I'm going through rather than what my mother did, you know. And I remember when I was at rehab, I remember the psychiatrist saying, you could never be off of an antidepressant. And I stopped taking them for a little while because... It was affecting my writing, or so I thought. I started taking my, my antidepressant again a, a couple of days ago, about three, four days ago. And it's going to take some time for it to, to you know, get in there. But, I, you know, I got no money for, like, I don't even have the money to take an Uber to go to the fucking pharmacy to refill the prescription. Like, I'm just, whew, excuse me. And And this is nobody's fault but my own, you know? I've allowed this all to just fall apart. And that happens to me from time to time. But this is like really bad. And I need to find a reason to want to live a good life. But without family, I don't see the point. Like who wants to go through another fucking Christmas like this? Who the hell? like why would i even want to have a birthday i have no i have zero friends coming to my house for my birthday you know what i mean like and it's fucking 52 like ugh like that's just the most grossest number on earth like 52 it just means that like my scrotum is is sporting all gray pubic hairs and like my muscle mass is gone my pecs have turned into breasts it's it's just ugly. Like it's all ugly. Like who the fuck wants to fuck somebody like that? Like you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I mean I'm not just being real. You know? Like fifty two is physically ugly. You know. We we can hold up in some pictures. You know. We can dress it up nice for TikTok. But you take off the clothes at fifty two and this shit is falling apart. You know. It is. It is at that point just before they swing the fucking wrecking ball at the abandoned building. Like that's where it is. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I lost, I, I lost my gallbladder uh, I just about a month and a half, two months ago. And um, now whenever there's a rumble in my digestive system, I don't know if I'm going to pass gas or shit. And it's scary. Like when I need to go to the bathroom, I got about 11 seconds to get there. And that is pathetic. And I'm at a place where like, if I have to start wearing diapers, I'm done. Like, I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, it's, it's... uh. And, and this is what some friends of mine would call high class problems or first world problems. And that gives me a little perspective. I'm angry that I'm still here. I'm angry that my dad... Died. I'm angry that my mother died. I'm angry that Benny, my oldest brother, died. Like, this life hasn't gone very much at all the way I wanted it to go. I was 14 and good looking, (laughs) and I laughed. And I made my friends laugh. And girls had crushes on me. And, you know, I had just started being sexually active at 14. And life was amazing. And the Prince was here. And fucking, you know, man, the Thriller album. And you know what I mean? Like, yo, life was the shit. You know, Rock him, and fucking LL Cool J. And, like, everything was just full of sound and breakdancing and excitement and I could feel this buzz in the air and it was like man this life is gonna be fucking amazing yeah and that that didn't that didn't pan out (sighs) um but I've I've done what I can and I know I have made life great for a lot of other people I know that. A lot of people, I can't tell you how many voice messages I get here just on my podcast alone about how someone f- believes that I was very instrumental in changing the path for their life and it has improved greatly and they're just so thankful that they found me. And I get those kind of messages on TikTok and Snapchat and, and it's not registering, y'all. It's not registering because I don't know how to be there for myself. I've never known how to be there for myself what i've done for myself is added people to my life to because i found joy in doing loving acts for other people you know and you know people oh the thing about you know you're too nice and all of that i there's just something about giving to other people and and um showering other people with love and loving acts and compassion and kindness and forgiveness and listen there's something about that man that I just oh you know (laughs) I just I, I fucking love it I love to see someone's expression and and their 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 body posture and everything change when you do something great for them you know I think that's why Christmas has always been my favorite time of year up until recently. Because I, man, when I could afford it, I would, I loved going and getting those elaborate gifts from people that I wasn't even all that close to, but I knew that no one else was going to get it for them. So I had to get this gift for them. And I'll never forget seeing those looks on people face, like, oh my God, I can't believe, whoa, you know, and, ah. Uh, It's it's the best. It's the best. It's the best feeling in the world. It's the best. And I got to find that for me. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where it is. But I got to find it. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't know, y'all. I'm signing off, but As you hear me struggle, understand that this is why I tell all of you, remember to love yourself. And if you fall short, you can start your day over at any time. And I hope you do your best, and so will I. Bye, y'all. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick $0.99, cents, 4.99 or nine ninety-nine. Please feel free to pick $0.99. Cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care.